Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the Roman's Empire podcast. Andres, I don't even know if we're supposed to have changed our title by now or done something different, but for now, we are still the Roman's Empire podcast, uh, where all we do is talk Chelsea and, of course, talk shit about everyone else, especially Dan Byrne. Fuck you. Three <laughs> points. Um, in a very, what I would say, Andres, was an emotional day, just overall for Chelsea fans, uh, a day that was full of relief after the Kai Havertz school, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, in case you haven't noticed, Sam is missing today. It is just Andres joining me. Um, Andres, how are you feeling, man? I feel like as a, just as from one Chelsea fan to another Asking that question has so many different answers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel proud of the first team. I feel nervous about the situation, not because I think we're it's all doom and gloom. It's just a lot of uncertainty altogether in terms of what the club is doing and, and how things are going and, and the government limitations and whatnot. But... This is Chelsea, and the joke is that it's chaos and trophies, and we're bringing chaos a different way this season. So if it's not COVID, if it's not a managerial go-round, what, what else could it be? It's the brink of World War III and your owner getting sanctioned and they sent, and officially kicked out. So, hey, yeah. this isn't it isn't new for Chelsea to be all over the media, but it is new for it to be at this level. I mean, let's just get into it. It's the elephant in the room, right? Um, yeah, the UK actually officially sanctioned Roman, just like Andres said. Um, so what does it mean for Chelsea? I mean, we're, look, we're recording this on Monday night. By the time you listen to this podcast, it's probably going to be a little different. But as of right now, <laughs> um, Chelsea are not allowed to buy or sell any players. Uh, they're not allowed to offer new contracts, not allowed to sell new tickets to matches. Not allowed to benefit any way, shape, or form financially through selling merchandise um, in the hopes that Putin will stop invading the Ukraine for closing the mega store. Um, but the good news, Andres, as, as you know, we could play matches. Um, we can pay players and staff. Of course, all of these things are for now. Um, our spending budget varies. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to read out what, what it was. I mean, it was at 20000 but... Who knows what it is now? Apparently, um, you know, there's been countless meetings and whatnot to see if they can get that license amended one way or another to provide maybe a little bit more funding to go to and from matches. Because, I mean, I'm an American from the outside looking in, but 20,000 doesn't sound like enough to get a you know full 23-man squad, staff, trainers, coaches, and everyone to a foreign country. Um, you know, within 48 hours. So they're in back within 48 hours. So that's a little tough. Um, and as you know, it gets it gets even better. We did lose a couple sponsors, most notably three. Um, I don't really know if I'm going to miss them all too much, though, to be completely <laughs> honest with you. Um, but, but here's the thing, Andres. I mean, the UK government has allowed the sale process to continue um, as long as they are the ones selling... We know that there's been numerous bids for the club 
uh, from multiple people, multiple countries, multiple controversial states that will not be mentioned specifically, but you put two and two together. Um, there's a there's a lot of hoopla, for lack of a better word, a lot of scuttlebutt. I'm I'm really trying to SAT words. Wow. Find, I'm really trying to find uh, yeah s- some some junior high words, vocabulary words, but Andres, just give me your overall synopsis of basically what yeah. the fuck is going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I understand entirely why the UK has to sanction Roman Abramovich. I get that. I understand that Chelsea is directly tied to its owner. I find it very hard to understand how shutting down, like at one point the licenses wouldn't even let us sell hot dogs at the stadium, for example. So uh, why punish UK citizens who probably have been working at Chelsea for 20 years where they have no tie to Putin no say into what's happening at the Ukraine. And and those are the part of the sanctions that are rubbing me the wrong way. The merch. I get Chelsea gets a cut of the merch, but Nike gets the bigger cut of the merch because they are our kit and gear sponsors. So why the hell do you cut out blue-collar workers, day-to-day workers who are trying to make a living that work at a shirt store what did they do? Like, why punish these players who, by the way, none are Russian. None have probably spoken more than a few words to the owner. Like, what have they done to now be limited in their preparation for matches? You said 20,000 pounds is not enough. You're right. It's not enough. You're, you're, you can't even get that many people from London to to France for the Lille match on a Greyhound bus. Like some of these were drastic. I think you're a lot of it is just PR to be honest, like come down hard on Chelsea because it's, it's Bramovich's place and all that. But at the same time, some of these things were not thought of. They wanted to come down hard and quick and they didn't think about this thoroughly, which is why now every single day, there's a new license that's allowing a little bit more, a little bit more here, a little bit more there. On the flip side, I think everybody re- related to Chelsea has handled this very gracefully. Uh, I think from what I've seen, you know, the players on their social media after the match, uh, specifically Newcastle, talking about doing this for the fans and and, and trying to entertain and bring happiness and joy to those not only at the bridge, but watching from afar. Uh, Emma Hayes speaking on the club, the staff, the players. Thomas Tuchel talking about, you know, reassuring us as fans that he plans to stay here. Um, even though Jamie Carragher is already trying to ship him off to, to Old Trafford. Like, the fact that people from within understand that what Chelsea is and what Chelsea means is not Roman Abramovich-centric is is very positive to what the team spirit and the foundations that make Chelsea what they are mean to everyone that's involved. So that's been the one thing kind of keeping me sane uh, amid all the uncertainty of who may come next 
in the post-Roman era? I said this multiple times in our group chat, and I, I, I still maintain it. I think, granted, this whole situation, uh, if you're looking at it as a whole, doesn't seem like a like a very positive situation, right, Andres? Um, especially in regards to the most important aspect of this, and I think this should have been mentioned at some point in this podcast, the most important aspect of this whole thing is that innocent people are dying in Ukraine. It's not the fact that Chelsea Football Club is up for sale. It's not the fact that Roman Abramovich is being sanctioned. It actually, we're the backstory. Um, and I feel like for a lot of people, this has become the main story. Now, to the people that work at Chelsea that have, um, you know, like you said, 20, 30, some of them even 40 plus years of experience working at the club in some capacity, even if it's, you know, from the caterers to the security, um, all across the board, to those people, they have a reason for it to be the main uh, the main story. I mean, this is their livelihood that's potentially at stake. I mean, they already went through COVID. <laughs> they were already out of a job for the better part of a year. Um, and I know we did cut funding during COVID at some point right. in some capacity. Um, who knows who was affected? But you take all those things into account, and I, and I just really feel for those people. So, you know, on one hand, the most important issue is, of course, Ukraine. But it is important to remember that you know, there are people within the club that go beyond just supporting the team. The team actually supports them. Um, so that's something that should be noted. Um, but to me, I, I'm I'm still looking at this as a potentially glass half full situation. Um, you know, ridding ourselves of, you know, that dark cloud that was always over us. Let's be honest. I mean, the, the rumors about Roman and his involvement with you know, Russian politics in general, let's not get into details. It's always been there. Um, right. And it's never gone anywhere. We have always, and I think we're all guilty of this, we have always said, well, it's not really impacting the football, so we were kind of naive to make any sort of connection into how severe those connections actually were. Um, and I think now, and I think history is going to show this as well, you know, years down the line, we're all going to look back and be like, wow, we kind of feel sort of stupid for even letting that happen in the first place to some capacity of course you know the champions leagues the premier leagues fa cup trophies the league cup trophies all of that goes without saying that's a joy but um i think the most important thing moving forward is making sure that we put somebody in place that doesn't have any sort of controversy surrounding them or their business dealings let's just get a normal rich dude um, and I think this is where the golden, uh, you know, the golden stake kind of comes in. You keep hearing that term thrown around. Um, and, you know, I I completely agree with it. The notion that, for those of you that don't know, that the fans should own some portion of the club forever. Um, they take responsibilities with decision making. Um, they have a say in regards to anything that has to do with the team colors, team logo. Uh, the location of where the team plays, obviously, you know, the supporters trust has done a phenomenal job up to this point. But what are your general thoughts on that, Andres? Because, I mean, this is something that we've seen integrated in other parts of Europe, most notably in Germany, where the supporters groups do have some sort of a say from my broad understanding of it, um, you know, in terms of team dealings, not necessarily in terms of transfers ins and outs, but just right. the general protection of the team remaining where it is. 
and the and I guess the traditional values of the team. Yeah, I I guess I'm a little more cynical. I know the Bundesliga has the 50 plus one rule where every team has to be majority owned by mm-hmm. the the people. Uh, here's the difference. They in today's game, <laughs> money maintains success, and it's simple as that. I think you have Manchester City. You have uh, Look at what happened to Barcelona when they lost their money from bad business. Madrid always has money, and they're still always relevant. PSG is trying, but they're PSG. They're like the European version of Tottenham. Bayern, yes, they're part of the 50 plus one, but they have a history of good business decisions, so they kind of get away with not having to spend too much on transfer business to to keep that team floating. Uh, They're you know, diamond of, of the Bundesliga. So people just walk in through there. Juventus had to spend a lot of money and get new sponsors just to sign Ronaldo. So at the end of the day, the day money will make your team kind of work in terms of the, the team building, the, and, and with that, your longevity of success, uh, and United has big time owners, Liverpool, they had, they've kind of come around and done smart business after putting themselves in a hole from bad overall spending post Suarez. Uh, I just think it's not going to come anytime soon. I think that that sort of decision has to be a uniform decision for the whole league. Otherwise you're going to keep getting the Qatari city owners, the Saudi Newcastle owners, those sort of mega trillionaire groups that, are playing FIFA in real life. So I think it's a very idealistic way, but I still think it's, it's too uh, theoretical to be, to be concrete and, and for me to see that future in the Premier League right now. If there's any opportunity in any team that could sort of buck the trend and start this now, it's us. And I think this whole situation, and this is why, you know, you just look at this whole situation and I think it's obviously it's bigger than football, but this is also a groundbreaking moment in football that really just kind of, it's shed light on a lot of controversial ownership that's just sort of surrounding the sport at the moment. And I think rightly so. I think it comes to, that there comes a point where we can only put it aside for so long without realizing, oh shit, an actual country owns a team. Or you know, oh shit, uh, uh, somebody that's politically affiliated and wide seen as an oligarch <laughs> is tied with a team. I, there, There is, um, I mean, it's the world's game. It preaches morality. It preaches treating everybody the same. It's, it's you know, preached for uh, Black Lives Matter, LGBTQ rights. I mean, any sort of uh, group or a group of people that feels like they're in a, in a sort of deficit. I mean, football has come around them and supported them in a great way. So why not look at the ownership and hold them, you know, accountable as well? And I think I think something like this might – I mean, it's just the perfect opportunity. I mean, we're, we're, some people genuinely think that we can lose the club. Some people think that it will dissolve. Some people okay. are worried that they'll never be able to go watch Chelsea play again. And I think that's the bigger issue here is if we can have an insurance policy on that as fans and also have a say as to what fucking jerseys are Nike butchers and what jerseys Nike nails right on the head. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. I, I just think that 
as you've seen by the media, we are not the the darling that can get traction on our side, no matter whether it's good or bad news. Like we, as a club, Chelsea was were absolute saints during COVID, and no big media outlet was preaching Chelsea's laurels, kind of thing. So why would now, if Chelsea out of nowhere decide like, hey, we should be majority owned by the fans. How is that going to catch fire? Everyone's going to think, oh, Chelsea's trying to be opportunistic. Like, unfortunately, we're always going to be the villain. It's going to have to be led by someone like United or Liverpool, where the media is literally on their knees at all times to give them positive light for something as drastic as that to become kind of a catalyst across the Premier League. That's why I just don't see it. Like we, Chelsea could solve world hunger and the media would still spin it another way. <laughs> you're and that's why I just don't see it, man. You're slightly cynical. Just a little bit. But t- um, tell me I'm wrong, man. Right, like right now, like you've seen the internet and it's Chelsea Football Club that's invading the Ukraine. Like I I'm, think, being, I'm generalizing, yeah, yeah, yeah. but no, no, that's, and, that's really the vibe. And that's why I said what I said earlier. The bigger issue is that Ukrainian people are actually dying. Not the Chelsea Football Club's up for sale. But is this... My question is not whether you think it's possible or not, because everybody's going to have a different interpretation of that. The only people that actually know are the lawyers for the supporters trust who have been working tirelessly. I don't even think they know at this point. Nobody no, they really have knows no idea. All, all they can do is keep Stanford Bridge where it is. Like that's the, the pitch owners association. Like we, the fans yeah. can keep the stadium where it no, is. That's I know, but, they, but they've, the seemed, they've seemed to give us the information fairly quickly after it breaks. They're the ones that kind of confirm it for us. Within 15 minutes of every major announcement we've made in the last two weeks, the supporter trust have put out some sort of announcement with their stance on the issue. And I think they've been spot on for the most part. But anyways, that's beside the point. My question is not whether or not you think it's possible. It's whether or not you think it's the just the right fucking thing to do. And that's my point is money aside, billionaires aside, everything aside, Chelsea Football Club is essentially going to be starting from scratch to – in some, you know, in some facet, in terms of bringing a new owner in, and this new owner is going to have to establish his own culture. Yes, he can maintain the current culture we have and take the good aspects of it, um, you know, like the fans supporting the team, obviously the match day atmospheres, things like that. Those will transfer over. But I'm talking about just in terms of giving the fans um, what we actually deserve. And I think any fan of any club or any team, and this goes for every sport, sort of deserves the same same sort of right. I mean, if, if owners come and go, players come and go, managers come and go. You hear this all the time, but but the club and the fans are the only two constants. So why not fuse them together instead of having them as sort of two separate entities or one entity associated with the other? Let's make them the same fucking thing. You're asking a lot of rich people to let go of a lot of power. There's only going to be one or three rich people or a consortium of rich people who knows i mean the thing is we're not going to do it on our own like i don't see this because at the end of the day chelsea fans want success and to keep the momentum we have we still need to pump in money into this club so like no way that this is the right moment for it like i'm I hate to not be a purist. I would love it. I would love it if we that's... had a member of the board that was a fan. I would love it. I just don't think that that's happening anytime soon. We we don't use the academy enough 
to use it as the main source of, of future first team players. We still dip into the market heavy. Like it, it, it's what? not football today. It, it just isn't when man city can blink and, and sign a top 50 player every summer. And you want to compete with teams like man city, you have to spend money. Yeah, but and you're I thinking about it as it. a 50 plus one rule. I'm thinking about it more in terms of just give us five or ten, not even. Give us two or three. Give us anything. Just give us a just give us a right to vote on the more critical traditional things of the club. We don't have to decide who comes in and out. We don't have to decide, you know, if we join the super league or, or you know, uh, uh, what manager we hire. But we should be dealing with is do we join the super league? Yeah. Should we change the should we change the badge? Do we upgrade the stadium? If we up if we update the stadium, is this okay with you guys? Does this design look good? Or if we take down this apartment building, is that okay to the to the rest of the area? Are they going to take that into consideration? That's the important thing, more so than having you know a, a 51% stake and having that 1% leverage. It's it's that's not how I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it as just a voice. We need to have a more solid voice within the club. And that's that's one criticism I do have of Roman's ownership, all political and that all all that bullshit aside. Just talking about specifically the way he ran the club. That's probably my biggest criticism of him is that he re- really didn't allow an avenue where fans can come in and sort of have a voice as to what we do and why we do it. But I don't think that's also been an issue because we've been winning a shit ton of games. But anyways, um, I want to talk about Thomas Tuchel in this whole in this whole thing. You mentioned Emma Hayes. She's been amazing. Thomas Tuchel, equally amazing as well. We got a uh, Twitter uh, comment from Ron, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Cool, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Deluxe, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Supreme. He's the czar of the Romans Empire Ultras. Uh, he asked, what a great leader Thomas Tuchel is, keeping this team focused and deflecting Yes, the team has had to go through. And Andres, before I pass this off to you, I think Tuchel put together one of my favorite quotes he's ever said as a manager. And if this doesn't make you fucking love the guy any more than you already <laughs> do, I don't know what will. Well, he was asked about um, how Chelsea is going to get there. And, you know, since this is their last previously organized travel traveling trip, um, you know, what's going to happen in the future. And Tuchel said, my last information is that we have a plane, that we can go by plane and come back by plane. If not, we go by train. If not, we'll go by bus. If not, I'll drive a seven-seater. And mark my words, I will do it. I'll arrive there. You see, if you asked me 20 or 30 years ago if I would join a Champions League match on the sideline and that I was willing to do, I would have said, okay, when do I have to be there? <laughs> Fucking love this guy, Andres. Let just just talk briefly about you know the way he's kind of handled himself here because I think I think he's every single manager should take a page out of his book when a club is in crisis. He has a way of just exuding this calm, measured approach to very very controversial questions and topics. I man, I really don't know how he does it because he could be he could easily have his head turned and say okay this is this ship is sinking. What team is going to give me a chance? And he's fully committed. Again, to, to, for him to be the leader of, of our first team right now in such a chaotic time is is a blessing. I mean, he's done this countless times, obviously this being the biggest, but with the Rudiger situation, he's always been good about keeping it light, keeping it positive, 
and making him still feel part of the team. Same with Christensen. Christensen's already off to Barcelona, and he's still finding the correct way to, to speak on the subject and the player. And now you're here in a moment where you don't even know if you can get paid next season. And, and he's like, look, we have a season. We have matches to play. We have places to be. We have to do this for the fans because right now that's the thing. Like the people that are currently working at Chelsea do like, at the end of the day, a sports team is for the fans, right? It's to keep us entertained and happy. And, and, you know, so like he understands how much it means to the community for Chelsea to be a united front in, in, in the turmoil that is this sanction slash turnover of ownership. So I am beyond happy to have Tuchel here. And, and I just don't think other managers would, would be able to handle this period. I, I really don't like, I can't think of, of some of a better way of, of handling the situation, honestly. Every politician that ever existed should watch Thomas Tuchel interview and uh, and learn from him, um, because he doesn't he doesn't talk any bullshit. He says exactly how he feels, but he does it in a way where it doesn't really sound controversial whatsoever. You know, it's just a very just a very measured, calm approach to everything, regardless of what the fuck is burning down around him. It seems like everything is right now. So um, we didn't really get to talk about uh, the Norwich match much, Andres, but let's just kind of gloss over that quickly before we go to Newcastle. I mean, we came back with a 3-4-3. Timo Werner came in for Pulisic. We were all freaking out, but he was just sick <laughs> um, <laughs> because he wasn't, in the, he wasn't on the bench either. Um you know, Havertz and Mount were probably the story of the game, just in terms of the way they combined. They both scored a similar goal to each other as well. Nice little cutback in the box, smash it into the top bins. Game set match, 3-1. I guess the easy way to say it, Andres, is the first half was really pretty, most specifically the first 15 minutes, and the second yep. half was the polar opposite. I completely agree i in typical chelsea fashion around the 60th minute we fell asleep norwich made it you know interesting chalaba gave up a penalty on unfortunately and it was two to one for a while and thank god for that Havertz finish at the end to just kind of let us enjoy the last few minutes of the match because for a, a while i was thinking it could potentially end two to two yeah I mean, I guess that's all I'll say about that. It's fucking Norwich. Um, we'll go to Newcastle now. I mean, this is a, a game that's more interesting, I guess. Um, but more so uh, sort of a snooze fest up until the <laughs> final minutes. Um, we came out with a 4-1-4-1. Uh, Reese James and Aspie both out, which means we had no fullbacks. I believe Marcus Alonso has COVID or COVID-like symptoms, something along those lines. Saul's been playing a lot of minutes. So we saw the return of uh, Malang Sar at left back, Rudiger and Christensen as the center backs, and Chalaba as our right back. Um, we did have a midfield sort of a duo slash trio with Jorginho at the base mountain and uh, and N'Golo Conte sitting right in front of him. Ziyech out on the right uh, and uh, Werner and Kai, um, you know, Kai in the middle, Werner out to the left. So... Andres, I mean, just based on the starting lineup, we didn't see Pulisic in here again. It looked like he still wasn't well enough to start the game. 
Lukaku right. stayed on the bench. I think I think for me at least, and maybe you can speak on this. The most surprising thing for me was starting Kai again, considering that we have the Champions League coming up. But most importantly, he played the full ninety. I mean, thank God he did. <laughs> yeah, we needed him in the ninetieth minute. But I think it's pretty clear at this point that I think Tuchel put a lot of importance on the Sunday match. Uh, for one, I think the team and the fans needed a result with the injuries and stuff. I think this is the strongest 11 he could have put out. So to me, I think Kai was the correct move. I think he didn't expect us, maybe not us, but Newcastle be to, to be such a strong defensive uh, opponent. But Kai's also young and he doesn't have, to, like the the shocking thing is that Kai doesn't have all this mileage in his tank for this season, right? He was hurt for a little bit, and then he missed a month due to COVID, so he doesn't have crazy amount of distance covered for the season yet. So I think he can handle something like this, and with a two nil lead on on Lil for, uh, going into the match the midweek, I don't expect Kai to play a full ninety there either. So yeah, I mean call it a surprise but i'm i was glad to see a stronger lineup out on the pitch versus you know rotating for a side like newcastle who by the way has like the second most points in the premier league had the premier league started in like january so it's a different team yeah and i I mean i kicked off the podcast i mean talking about newcastle's defensiveness i mean they, they basically packed it in just like the Newcastle of old, actually, trying to hit on the counter only. Except this time they had a 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, shithead. Uh, you know, let's talk about it, Andres. I mean, I feel like, and we were talking about this before we even recorded, it looked like we got away with two potential incidents where, one, Kai should have been sent off. That's just my personal opinion. <laughs> um, you can't just elbow someone in the face regardless of, how tall do you think he is? And apparently Kai, after the match, when he was interviewed, he said he's seven or eight feet tall, which I thought was hilarious. Um, <laughs> but then the other incident where Trevor Chalaba gave away a penalty that seemed clear as day, in my yeah, opinion. On, I think it was Murphy who went down. Yeah, Josh Murphy. I so, legitimately, I was like, it's going, it's a pen. Yeah, yeah. And I and look, if, if we were on the other side of it, you best believe that we will be up in arms. But guess what? We were. Trevor Chalaba got... Uh, essentially like almost circumcised by uh by Naby Keita in a cup <laughs> right and you know we, I mean we've I had our shit luck we, we've had our handballs yeah. in the FA Cup before that you know various incidents whatnot the, the ref wasn't great at he all was <laughs> he was bad on, on both sides I think we got luckier than Newcastle like you said I mm-hmm. think both sides have calls they could have complained about them being a little bit more um, harsh or, or on the poor receiving end. I think, yeah, any other ref would consider that Kai elbow a, a red. I do think that if Mane didn't get an elbow for elbowing Aspie early in the face in, in a former Liverpool matchup, then they kind of set a precedent there. Mm-hmm. The Chalaba one, I really don't know how that was missed. And and the crazy thing is, is we have VAR. I mean, VAR checked. Checked a, VAR checked an offside 
the offside goal for Werner, which I swore was onside, by the way. But, uh, I mean, I saw a funny comment. It's like, well, with the sanctions, we don't have enough money to run VAR. So maybe that's why. Uh, Listen, in football, you need to have luck sometimes. And you also need to have yeah. the, rub of the, the rub of the green, as they call it, right? Where you just get some calls against you and the ball bounces off, off a... The ball bounces a certain way towards your advantage, and in this case, the ball was the referee. <laughs> he was uh, yeah. he was just appalling in our favor. Um, and, and and sometimes any season you have to have a game like this, right? Where like nothing goes your way, yeah. but you somehow pull it off. And I think it came at the perfect time. I think there's so much chaos and so much craziness right now in the club. Like this was the perfect time to cash in your get out of jail free card. So I, <laughs> as much as I feel for Newcastle, I think they're they're going to be okay. I don't think they'll face relegation oh, they'll be fine. anyway. So I'm just glad we got the three points. Not that our third place spot is in jeopardy. I just think the the club in terms of the players and, and the first team squad really needed it. Yeah. Um, we did get a question in from Ronnie Ashworth. He asked, really wanted that win today. Chelsea against the world. Was the tactical fouls by Newcastle the most you've seen this season? Uh, second to Man City. <laughs> Nobody does it better than Man City. Uh, but I mean, that's that's part of the refereeing thing I'm talking about, right? Bruno Guimaraes yeah. was was knocking down players left and right. It, they were just not only were they packing it in, like you said, but any chance of any whiff of a counter, our players were being taken out uh, on the sidelines or even in transition. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty frustrating. You know, with with the whole Kai elbow thing. You know, everybody kept reiterating that Kai is not that guy. Kai is not that guy. But look, I you've talked about it. I've talked about it. He's a shit housing master, and and if you pay really close attention to some of his antics in the game, it's hilarious. There was at one point in this game where it was right after the elbow. Obviously, the Newcastle players were after him, and uh, the ball goes out of bounds. Kai picks it up and goes to like hand it to the Newcastle player and throws it maybe six or seven feet over their head uh instead from point blank to i'm talking like maybe five or six feet away from the guy um so i mean i mean he does that right so the whole yeah. sergio ramos thing in the, in the champions league last year where he goes to pick up the ball and does that on fake kick thing and just kicks it another 25 yards I, to me that's hilarious i want to keep seeing it i you think it gets it. in i you do and i think it gets in players heads but listen if kai's doing that now when he's at the top of his game why would you tell him to stop and to me, that's that that's the main thing. Um, Black Emoji had a question for us. And I think this is the golden question right now. We've been waiting for this guy for the longest time. He asks, has that boy Kai from the Bundesliga finally arrived? And Andres, before you answer that, I'm going to say fuck yeah. Um, you know, I... I, th- I think he's made that position his own. I think there is uh, there's just a, there's so many aspects of the game that we're missing when he's not playing there. The link up play seems all out of whack. You know, our, our forwards seem to only run vertically and not horizontally. Um, our 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 defensive shape also suffers a little bit because you know with a guy like Lukaku who can't be bothered to put in the hard yards. You have Kai on the other hand who's pressing and closing down and getting himself into positions where he could pull off his shithead antics. Um, I, I I think he's here, and I think he's here to stay. And I, I personally, we're at that point now where 
we're finally getting our return on our investment if we didn't already for all the important goals he scored. But now he's going to start putting it together within the course of, you know, a half season and eventually, hopefully next season, a full season. So, Andres, what do you think? I mean, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, he's here. And I think the, the scary part is, is that he's contributing in goals. It's not just how the play looks, how the team feels. Kai Havertz is is scoring, and he's scoring in the Premier League. Uh, I'm going to steal your stat here, but under Tuchel, nobody has scored more than Kai Havertz in the Premier League. He's got 15 Premier League goals under, under Tuchel. Uh, in his last matches now, he scored three three matches in a row. And you don't just need your strikers to, to show up in the big stage, but if you're going to compete in the league, they need to show up against the teams that park the bus on you and the teams that are just looking to frustrate you into a nil-nil draw and a brace against Burnley, a goal and an assist against Norwich, a 90th-minute beauty, because we didn't even, haven't even talked about that yet, the quality of the goal he scored. In the space of about a yard, he controlled the ball out of the air while bodying a center back and took a shot within a second. Dan Byrne, to be specific, who said he wasn't shit after he caught Kai's elbow, and then Kai literally took a shit on him. I just, I, mean, I just want to point that out. Yeah, that the, the, to go from from that, like five, ten minutes earlier, from Timo hitting the ball twenty yards away from himself on a clear through ball, to then seeing Kai kill the ball entirely because it, it was a what twenty five yard pass from Jorginho that mm-hmm. died the moment it touched Kai's foot. That is extremely difficult to do, especially while you're running, especially when the pass is over your shoulder, especially when a eight-foot defender, like I said, is coming off of your body, especially when the keeper is rushing you. Like, the amount of composure that goal took was unbelievable. Like, Kai Havertz, the, the talent, like, like Kai said it himself, I'm no longer just a talent. And it's showing like the the confidence is there and now the goals are coming in. It's it's amazing. Yeah, he's uh, that touch that he took before the goal. Was probably the touch of the season for me, the single touch of the season. Just he, he plucked it out of the air and the ball died exactly where his foot touched it. And the craziest thing was, if you watch the replay, but the time it took between Kai's touch to cushion the ball and Kai's, you know, uh, you know the, the actual shot itself um, with the outside of his foot. Dubrovka didn't even have time to set himself in that short space of time to yeah. even make a judgment or even guess, oh, I, like, like I'm just going to do some sort of dive for it, to just throw something at it. He didn't even have time to do that. To me, that was – it was a – it was a very sexual experience in a lot of ways. <laughs> it was one of those it was one of those times where you're watching the game and Andres, I don't know if you did this or not, but I actually clapped <laughs> by myself um in bed watching that. It was phenomenal. Um Yeah, but anyways, um we do have a question um another one from Black Emoji actually. It's on fire today. How do we turn Havertz and Lukaku into a more permanent partnership without overhauling the current tactics? Or is that the only way? It is an interesting one, Andres, because uh, I thought Lukaku looked like the usual crap that he's looked like for the last 
month and a half, two months or so. What did you think? I mean, is that something you even want to see? Um, I mean, I think Lukaku just needs to watch Kai Havertz tape at this point. It, Kai is teaching him how to play in this team. That's all I, I can say right now. I think, is there a way to get them into the team? Sure, I think there is. I think if we switch to the 4-1-4-1 and Kai plays a little bit closer to the middle, maybe. But then is that a disservice to Kai? Um, if we decide to play 4-4-2, maybe. Right now, it, it, we're looking at wingbacks for the rest of the season. As much as possible, wingbacks are going to be involved. The only way I see this partnership, I don't know about per- permanently, because that would mean taking Ziyech off the pitch. So to me, it's like a rotation option, maybe. I think that Kai is playing so well that I think he could make Lukaku look good. Again, I also think it's one of those things where Lukaku has to do his part big time. It's mostly on him. And the second part is I gave Jorginho shit a couple of of pods ago that he only passed it to the striker once. And then he did it today where he found the striker on a run. It's it's our midfields need our midfield needs to understand those chances better because I think we didn't talk about Norwich much, but even in that match, Conte, who had a brilliant 10 minute cameo there, missed Lukaku on a two on one. And yeah. and it's getting to the point where like we can't just point the finger either. He's trying when he's coming off the bench. I thought he was trying in this match too. It's just there has to be a little bit more trust from from the players to anticipate the run because if you wait till Lukaku's already three steps running, like it's no longer a shock. So if again, was, can it happen? Sure. I just don't think it's a permanent thing this season. If he was a fifteen or twenty million pound player, then it would be okay that he's going out there and, and trying really hard. But he's worth five times that, unfortunately. I I, I don't I don't want to see that experiment tinkered with whatsoever I think if you look at the front three we create a lot of course the finishing needs a little bit of sprucing up and it needs a little bit of work but you know if you get rid of a couple of players like you know if we're able to get rid of a Werner for example and bring in another guy that could potentially score goals Rafinha um, somebody like that who I've seen linked with us then that'll transform our front three but for me, the issue is more in the midfield. We just need to get more goals out of them. You know, our fullbacks are providing, and that's all fine and dandy, but eventually teams are going to start to figure that out. And uh, that's where the midfield comes in. And I think that's why Kovacic has been one of our best players this season is because he's been the only midfielder that's been progressive with his ball movement. So I do want to move on from Lukaku because he doesn't deserve this much time. Um, Andres, we got Leo coming up. Uh, on Wednesday, of course, we're 2-0 uh, ahead on aggregate. Um, home or away goals don't really matter. Let's just get that out of the way. We keep reiterating it this season because a lot of people seem to forget. But all Lille needs to do is score two goals, and uh, we go to extra time. Um, if we score one goal and they beat us 3-1, it doesn't matter. It's still going to be 3-3. Um so there's your example there. We, I mean, look, we, we know what they can offer. When we did play them, they showed flashes and some signs of, uh, you know, what they're capable of. I thought Renato Sanchez was by far their best player in that game. Um, I'll be surprised if he stays there another year. 
Um, we didn't really see much from Jonathan David, but Andres, if there's one thing that we know, it's that, you know, atmospheres in France, especially in the Champions League, can get pretty, pretty crazy. And Lille's known as one of those, uh, one of those, you know, infamous atmospheres on big match days. It's not an easy place to go to. Um, what's what, what's your take on it? I mean, we just watched what happened to PSG last week against Madrid, right? It's it's not over till it's over. So two goals, sure, may feel comfortable, but momentum swings extremely quickly, especially in a Champions League home match. If Lille scores early, it is going to get ugly quick. Uh, for me, I think Chelsea need to come in and those first 15 minutes, you just need to think low risk, low risk, maintain the shutout for 15 minutes and we can go from there. Uh, once they lose that initial boost from the fans and, and get a little bit frustrated, that's when we can really take advantage. So I, I don't expect this to be a goal fest on our end unless Lil just gets extremely open because they're chasing the goal hard. I just think it would be foolish, especially because they are where they are on the table, or they at least whenever they won the league, they were known for for their defense. So I'm thinking kind of the same way we played the first match. It it was a 2-0 win, but it was a, a defensive performance for the most part that got us those two goals. So I think it, it'll feel like we suffocated them into a loss because we just played stubborn defense. I think I think two messages need to be preached by Tuchel, and I think these are going to be the two messages going in. One is that we have to control the game possession-wise. We can't give them the ball at home. Um, regardless of their ball players, I mean, we talked about Renato Sanchez. That's a guy that could pick up the ball in the midfield and just run with it. He could also pick out a pass. He, could also, he also has a shot. They have a pace up top with Jonathan David, of course. But for me, the two main things should be control the pace of the game, and score first. If you score first, now you're at a point where you're putting everyone at Lille under pressure. Their manager has to make a decision. He probably pulls a defensive player off, whether it's a midfielder or a defender, and he brings an attacking player on. The game starts to open up a lot more, and that actually works in our favor because we can defend. <laughs> so I think that'll be the main thing. If we can get that first goal, um, we should be we should be golden. Um, I do feel I do feel relatively confident, um, and I do I want to say this. I'm extremely proud of this team, man. Just everything that they've been through the last what two weeks since this you know <laughs> shit show began. Two weeks, I three weeks, four year weeks, year and a half since Lampard's <laughs> gone, man. Like uh, these guys haven't caught a break. Since was, since we won the Champions League, it seemed uh, before, man. Like uh, yeah. Lampard's last uh, first season, there was the big COVID break. Then a few players came. They lost their manager six months into the season. Then, like, yes, we win Champions League. Then injuries plague this team. Then COVID comes back and destroys our depth during the craziest part of the schedule. Like, I guess it's just not Chelsea if there's not something going on. Yeah, there, there's always something. I'm just, I'm just proud of the way the teams yeah. kept their poise. We had every excuse to just collapse and drop results and drop points left, right, and center and have guys come out on the field and just kind of be zombies for 90 minutes. We've had every single excuse. Um, 
but we haven't. We've we've come out. Granted, the Norwich performance wasn't pretty. We grinded out a result. The Newcastle performance wasn't pretty. We grinded out a result. But the two things that are in common there is just the overall spirit of the team. It's it's still very much alive. And that goes that's that's tipping my hat to Tuchel. That's tipping my hat to you know everybody that's been involved. The supporters trust the fans, the players, just all across the board. It's been it's been amazing. So with that being said, Andres, going back to the Lille match, I'm gonna say we I'm gonna say we go out there and we draw them. I think it's gonna be like a really really ugly nil nil or one one. And to be honest with you, that's okay with me because we move on and my Kai uh, FIFA Ultimate Team card gets an upgrade. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, doubly good news for me if that happens. I, I think we'll win. I think we'll win one nil. It'll be a random goal later in the match. I think Lil's gonna really press and and really come at us hard. But I don't think it's gonna be to the point where we crumble. So that's my prediction. Yeah, yeah. As long as we don't arrive on a seven seater, uh, I think the players will not cramp and be okay for the most part. Right. Um, so with that being said. We do uh, record after every match day. Uh, if you're not following us on Twitter already, make sure you are at Roman's Empire Pod um, for now. Um, we will keep you guys updated. Like I said, we should be your one-stop shop for you know everything Roman-related. Whenever something drops, we will be the one of the first. We try uh, to you know give you guys the news and be as objective about it and as also opinionated about it as possible. So until next week, keep the blue flag flying high.